Welcome to the Burnout Recovery Podcast, a guiding resource dedicated to healthcare professionals on their journey to overcoming burnout. Spearheaded by Dr. Joe Braid, a certified professional coach and rehabilitation physician. This podcast offers practical strategies through expert interviews and personal resilience stories, providing invaluable tools for navigating professional challenges while prioritizing well-being. Regardless of your role in healthcare, this podcast acknowledges the toll of your work on your overall health and is committed to supporting your recovery from burnout and fostering a fulfilling, sustainable career. So, if you're ready to begin a transformative journey, join us for each new episode. Together, we'll navigate challenges, celebrate successes, and build a supportive community of healthcare professionals. Hello, and welcome back to the Burnout Recovery Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to have a guest all the way from Canada. So today on the podcast, I have Dr. Sarah Smith, the charting coach. Welcome. Hi, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. Great to have you here, Sarah. Um, thank you so much for in- inviting me to be on your podcast a few months ago. And now I'm so looking forward to the wisdom that you've got to share with my clients around that little thing about paperwork. Something that can be time consuming, the EMR, et cetera, et cetera. But before we get into all that juicy part about exactly what you coach around in your charting coaching, tell us a little bit about your connections with Australia and how you've come to set up work in Canada, please. Thanks, Joe, for the introduction. So, yes, I'm a family physician and uh, I was working full time in Cairns, Australia. Um, and while it was amazing and excellent and I was just at that point of family medicine where I felt like I could finally understand my patients and what to do for them and the business side of um, medicine was becoming a bit easier. We also wanted to um, travel around Australia as a family at some point and I was staying longer and longer at work to finish up this paperwork problem. And at that point, the EMR was starting to be available after hours as well. So I was noticing Mm -hmm. some of that working from home, just the beginnings of that, but also the coming in Saturday mornings, staying late, coming in Sunday, um, the big catch up before holidays, uh, the big disaster after holidays, like all of it was very exhausting. So Um, That was my kind of experience as I was finishing up family medicine and we packed up everything and we went around Australia, which was super fun. And I really enjoyed that time memory making with the family. And then the end of that, uh, we perched ourselves in Yapoon for a locum for a year as we figured out what we wanted to do next. And there were some jobs in Canada. So we traveled across continents to Canada um, where I'm working in rural family medicine here. And that includes emergency department inpatients um, in the clinic as well. And the medicine's different here in that I have two rooms to see patients in and I have an office to do paperwork and phone calls in. So I don't have that one room experience that I was having in Australia, which is different um, and interesting that it's different. But this whole staying late having paperwork left at the end of the day, doing charting, um, doing my notes in the evening and then on the weekends and then forms were being done on the weekends or I'd be delaying that enjoyment with my family on the weekends because I had paperwork. Um, it followed me. It followed me intercontinental. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the beginnings of my, um, not the beginnings of, that was a continuation of my frustration with family medicine and what I thought was an impossible problem. Um, yeah. Yeah, right. So, so when you say family medicine or family physician, similar to a general practitioner, and I understand you're in more of a rural area rather than in a big smoke. So um, that's, that's contributing to your um, hospital responsibilities and so forth there. I can somewhat relate. I'm in Orange. I'm not that rural. But um, yeah, as we get further out west here in New South Wales, then that would be more of the setup out there. Okay. So then um, fascinating. That sort of workplace approach didn't leave you behind, even if you crossed continents and quite a big distance between Australia and Canada. So then was there sort of a penultimate or, or sorry, an ultimate point where you were like, something has to change. This is unsustainable going forwards. And and what door opened or what was the change? What, what happened there, Sarah? Yeah. So um, it was unsustainable the way it was. And my eldest kid was in grade 10 and I had been just kind of listening into a conversation he was having with dad in the lounge room about university. And I had that dawning moment that I would miss out on his final two years at home by mm -hmm. continually being in the evenings and weekends and every spare minute just trying to keep up with the workload. And it still remains painful now because I still um, remember just how painful that was, right? I'd asked every mentor along the way, how do you figure out this paperwork piece? And no one had an answer except come in on Saturday. And mm -hmm. this is just how medicine is. And that wasn't the answer I wanted anymore. So mm -hmm. I wasn't really looking for an answer in that I knew it was an impossible problem. No one had an answer. So this is just how it had to be. And mm -hmm. I had no other way of earning money. <laughs> so this is how it had to be. Yeah. I, I trained student doctors. And as part of that, I had... Um, been on my way to a orientation for the medical students and um i wanted to be a more motivational speaker so i thought mm. I'd listen to a podcast because it was a, a nearly a five-hour drive so i just kind of hopped into a podcast app and i googled motivational speaker and life coach podcast came up and i'm like mm -hmm. well i have no idea what a life coach is i'll just kind of throw this on and see if it's motivational <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, five hours later, I could not have got enough. And my mind was a little bit broken. I learned this interesting idea that oh. I was creating my way of the world. I was right. creating my experience in family mm. medicine. Or I was creating my experience in my life. And she said things like, impossible things are possible and joy is available to you right now. And I was objecting to that idea. I'm like, but you don't understand, lady. <laughs> I have the most impossible problem and joy is definitely not available to me. Oh, I get yeah. the straw that broke the camel's back with every ask in every consultation 
with every new thing they want me to do, with every form that gets handed to me, my brain would say, there's another hour of my life gone. So I was leaving the ultimate victim, um, painful suffering experience within the clinical day at that point. And this little idea that somehow I had some agency here, that mm -hmm. I was the one creating this dread and doom and negativity, and that I had the possibility of having a different clinical experience with nothing changing. My staff stays the same. My patient load stays the same. The patient requests in the room stay the same, but I get to show up differently. That was a little bit breaking of my brain. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I'm hearing you talk about the Life Coach School podcast. That was the Life Coach School mm -hmm. podcast that I was listening to at the time. Yep. Yeah. Just started yeah. at the very beginning and away I went. So at, while I was at that conference, every single break, every evening after we finished, I would hop back in the car. <laughs> I can't possibly listen to a podcast anywhere else. And I'd go for a drive <laughs> to listen to it some more. Wow. Because I was learning. And so then, of course, I did the medical school thing. I jumped online to find a physician life coach mm -hmm. because clearly mm -hmm. the only people who are going to fix my problem was another physician. And yeah. the only physicians at that time I could find to help me were helping you leave medicine, which oh, was okay. not what I could do because I couldn't do anything else. I had no other skill set. Yeah. So, Can you share what year was this that this was sort of rolling out for you? I would say 2017, 2018. So I um, went back to the original place where I had learned that impossible things were possible mm -hmm. and I had to do the work with a any old person <laughs> helping me. Mm -hmm. And how was that if you had somebody outside of your clinical sphere helping you in your clinical sphere um, around that workplace, um, if I yeah. can say drama, that you um, were creating and your reality you were creating for yourself? How did that work out? So um, the, the interesting thing is that when we set a goal, any goal, whether we want to run a 5K marathon or we want to get home with everything done, mm -hmm. um, any goal we can pick, we're, we're the one who gets to decide. And then the, the actions of an understanding that it's not going to be easy, that we can do hard things, mm -hmm. that we can step towards a goal. And so long as we don't quit – we could fail as much as we want or as much as we need to mm. on a pile of fails and a few successes. We can move closer to the goal. If we don't quit, then we can get closer and closer to making impossible things possible. Mm. I think that was the, the piece was I didn't need someone who knew what I was experiencing because I could experience my own life and I knew the things that might help me, but I couldn't do that work. If I thought it was impossible, I wouldn't stop. Yes, yes. But then I was changing into it's impossible and let's go. Let's do it anyway. Yeah, right. Because what have I got to lose? The worst that could happen is what I was living right now. Yeah. So things started in 2017 with your experience of coaching and starting, um, you know, getting that one-on-one -on -one coaching for yourself and applying it to your world, to your life. And, and please share, what did you notice really did start to change for you? 
Instagram. So initially nothing changed other than how I was showing up. So instead of um, allowing the person in the room to dictate how I felt at work, Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is if they didn't want to do as I said or came back and they were still drinking, I would make it mean that I had done something wrong Mm -hmm. or that I hadn't um, done my job well. And I could start to notice that they're human and they get to have their own opinions and that's nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. So I'm allowed to decide that I've done a really exceptional job that I'm doing the best I can and they get to do with my advice, whatever they want. And that really separated their experience and my experience. And I was able to decide how I wanted to feel at work. So I didn't have to feel trapped in the room. I could start to decide what I would prioritize and what I would say, let's do that next time. So I could start to be more in control of my clinical day. And then I could decide if I want to have this work done and not left over at the end of the day, I can start to do things differently Mm. within each encounter and just would play with, well, what's available to me that's different from now? What could I do differently? And and having that courage to start and to build the confidence Mm. and the skill set to do things differently. So it was a full 18 months before I really had that experience of being able to go home after the last patient Mm. with everything done. Mm -hmm. That was amazing. And sometimes the idea of change can feel uncomfortable in itself and reverting back to the way that you have always done it feels more familiar and easier. Would you like to share any of, um, you know, what supported you in in that courageous part of going, oh, this is icky, this is different, this is not the way that I've done it, and yet I am supporting myself and holding myself to go forwards here. What did you? Yeah, I think that a couple of things. One is learning about our brains. So our brains love pleasure. They hate pain yes. and they like to do things efficiently. Yes. And what that means is the next patient in the next room is way more fun than the chart note in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I love pleasure. So I would jump into that next exam room and I knew that about myself, right? Or that inbox is not the fun part. So I will escape the discomfort of the inbox with anything else, mm. a chat with the staff member, a cookie, um, scrolling, whatever it needed to be sure. to, to put off that work. Um, and then it, um, so it likes pleasure. It hates pain. So of course it's going to decide that doing that note now or doing that inbox work is never going to be the fun mm-hmm. part. And does things efficiently, which means if I sat down to do that chart note and there was a patient in the next room, my brain had decided because it had done this for so many years that there's an urgency about getting into the next room. Mm -hmm. And so I would get up and go to the next room. So that was me just doing things efficiently, even if that efficiently wasn't the way I wanted to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. So we have our automated processes and if we're going to do something different, we really have to have a good reason why to overcome that automated response and do things differently. Um, So I just had enough of later. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to task my 5 PM self with work anymore. And I'd had enough and that I've had enough and 
I'm going to create plenty of time to do this within my clinical day because I would run through my day. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. That was my recurrent story that I would say out loud or in my head. And then I changed it to, I will design this differently. I will create time. And so that is what I went and did. So I held that fiercely that I'm doing this anyway, mm-hmm. even though there's a patient in the next room, I'm going to let them sit while I get this done because I am done with later. Yes. And that was my little mantra of you sit there and you don't move until it's done. Thanks for sharing the examples. I think in coaching, we do talk about our future selves as well. And maybe even in this short term, like three, five hour window that you were thinking about, you were thinking about Sarah at 5 p.m., maybe the future Sarah at 5 p.m. And what can I do now? Or what am I going to do differently now? So Sarah at 5 p.m. is in the car heading home to see the kids. And while I might have read articles, I mean, there wasn't a lot of articles on how to do your clinical day more efficiently. Mm -hmm. Anything I read just seemed like it wasn't for me because that's not the way I do things. So it wouldn't make sense to me. But when I was in that moment of I've got to try everything (laughs) until I get it right for me and that becoming resourceful in I can try new things. It doesn't the world doesn't break when I show up and start saying things differently in the room to my patients so that we get to the crux of the issue earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so that information I would read wouldn't really translate to who I was at that time. But then as I was starting to say, look, something's got to change. Yes. Let's try anything until we get the result we want. Then it became more like an obstacle course. Right. Like I don't know my way. I don't know the map. I don't know the the footpath I'll use. Mm. But I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So so great to hear your stories and your path through there. And I'm imagining you were having regular coaching during that time. So it was interesting that the program that the this, the Life Coach School was running at the time was a group program. So there was okay. no one-on-one. Okay. In fact, it was all just part of listening to other people working on their problems. Mm. And physicians, we have a very problem-orientated, problem-solving brain. We, we solve problems for everybody else, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> all day. So if we do a big step back and say, okay, if I wanted to, you know, create going home with everything done. What do I think I would help myself do first? Or how would I do that? Or what would I see is something I could change that's taking up time? So it was that big step back and allowing my brain, instead of saying, well, I don't know, because mm. I've done that for decades. I don't know how to fix this. I would say, well, let's think of one thing you could fix mm-hmm. or one way you could do that faster. What's taking so long? Or what do you start leaving? What are you leaving the room for? Or how long does that appointment take? So it was just being curious and curious with what the watching myself work and does the saying, okay, is there a better way? Mm-hmm. Could we have done that differently? And that constant observation, watching other people problem solve. And you're like, Oh yeah, I can see how, I do that same internal thinking Mm. and I can see how that is now creating 
a lot more time in my day. Like, I don't want to go in the next room with that person. They always whine at me and they always have 10 problems to bring. And blah, blah, blah. so I would waste 10 minutes beforehand trying not to go in that mm-hmm. room. And then I'm like, oh, that, that just cost me 10 minutes. Yeah. Okay. I don't have 10 minutes to spend dreading going in that room. I'm going to have to deep breath learn some grounding activities to kind of bring myself down and say, okay, let's just go figure out. We can figure it out. Let's go in that room and figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that relatability from hearing other people being coached, other, other people mm-hmm. in the hot seat while you can mm-hmm. sort of see, oh, yes, that I can see how that yeah. applies to me. That's a great strategy, a great technique that I can take away and apply to my experience of life yes. or my workplace. Mm. Yeah. So then what happened? So, yeah, so in 2019, um, I was getting home with everything done. And when you go from medicine taking up every single second of your life and you're trying to fit family in between medicine Mm -hmm. and you go to bucket loads of time and you have this almost bored (laughs) to your life, I I could not keep that to myself. Mm Mm-hmm. So I had decided that the skills I was learning to help me were already translating to helping my patients. So instead of hearing that constant whining, I would start being curious with them. You know, what what do you think you would like to work on with your diabetes this year? Mm. Right. And what are you working on already that I can assist with? So rather than this whole, oh, it's too hard and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, if it wasn't hard, what do you think you would do next? Yeah. So there were questions I was using from coaching for myself that I was starting to use for my patients. So I'm like, I'm going to go and become a coach because, you know, physicians, yes. and that's what we do. Yeah. It's really like, Let's put something else in my toolbox. <laughs> Get some more letters. So yeah, I went and retrained in coaching and started just doing general coaching for physicians, just that one-on-one um, experience like we do with our patients one-on-one. Mm-hmm. It was that coaching one-on-one with my peers and colleagues to say, hey, a different experience of clinical medicine is available to you right now, yeah. even when you don't believe that's possible. Um, you, that frustration and anger and there's too much and I don't want to becomes, I have control in my day. I can have joy if I want to. I can create time and space if I want to becomes possible. Mm-hmm. And so that I couldn't contain. I had to go and share with the, with my friends. So we did that one-on-one coaching mm-hmm. for that um, whole of like the 2019 to halfway through 2020. That was my next way of giving back. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So good. And was that like a whole range of stages of clinicians, sort of? Yeah. Who were the? Yeah, it was mostly to start with family doctors, mm. but then it became. Um, I noticed that the skill of figuring out this paperwork and administrative problem, figuring out how to get home, saving hours and hours in the clinical day, was such a gift to the physicians I was seeing that that's where I started to move into. I'm like, this is a a need yes. that no one else is talking about. Yes. I will concentrate on the clinical day, the charting, the paperwork, the administrative burden, the getting you home so you can have a life outside of medicine. Mm-hmm. So once I kind of 
put out into the world, hey, I will help you stop charting at night. I will help you get your evenings and weekends back. Then we open the floodgates to, well, I'm not a family doctor, but I'm a you know, neuro-ophthalmologist and you can help me. I'm like, okay, then let's go. And a rheumatologist, pulmonologist, yeah. um, oncologist, hemoncologist, like we had every type of specialist and physician and resident mm. all saying, if you can help them, you can help me. Yeah. You're, you're going to help me because I need this help. I'm like, sure, let's go. <laughs> and learning the nuancing and adaptation for each of the types of specialties and clinicians and physicians that we see. Mm, yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so whether you're in hospital or you're in community practice or clinic mm. outside of hospital, mm. you've got a whole range yeah. of strategies, tools mm -hmm. to um, – yeah. To, to not only change that experience, but to change um, the sort of outcome on the individual level, change the home time, change the what yeah. what is still outstanding, yeah. that sort of hanging over mm -hmm. to-do list regarding clinical work. Mm. Okay. How, how can you share um, how sort of young in their training career is, is somebody that you've actually ended up working with in your coaching business? So what I find fascinating is that um, the predominant people who were originally wanting to work with me were often within two years of retirement. Really? So they're actually really far along yeah. in their career. And they were saying, I'm finally getting a weekend, like wow. decades of doing it this way. And I'm finally getting a weekend mm -hmm. and an evening. And I'm going home after the last patient. Now I think I could do this a little longer because it's finally, finally sustainable. Yeah. But we then had residents saying, this is not part of the curriculum. This is already hurting me because I will go home at the end of the day and I need to lie horizontally because I'm tired. Yes. Yeah. My brain is done, yes. but I have study to do. And I have all these yeah. notes from the day to finish and they want me to have them done by Friday at five and I'm nowhere near that. Mm -hmm. So it was hopping in and talking to groups of residents of family medicine residents as well. But then within our clinic, um, the student doctors are part of our, they do their whole third year in our community. Mm -hmm. So they are outside of the, the city. They're doing full immersion, family medicine, emerge, rural, surgical, inpatient, anything we do, they're doing. Yeah. And one of the things we're teaching them is, um, when you come to see me about that patient, the note's done too. Uh -huh. So that we are teaching them good habits ahead of time. Yeah. Um, so that when they see me, I can both hear the story, look at what they've written, help them understand how to make that more succinct, more useful, easier and done. Lucky So students. there's no limit to when you can learn this at the very end or at the beginning. Yeah. What a gift. So good. And we'll just clarify that often residents in the Canadian situation might be registrars here. Yes, yes, right? that's okay. registrars. So we can just sort of yeah. see that there's like a little bit more seniority in there. We have the interns and the residents here. Yeah. And, and yet yeah. I completely agree with you that at any stage, yeah, how can, how can we tell more medics in training wherever they are that um, there's there's a different way to approach this or how can you best support yourself to bring more of that joy into your life and and as your podcast is sustainable clinical medicine 
keep you sustainable in the healthcare workforce. Yeah, through all of your stages, right? So as you, the, the interesting thing when I'm talking to residents and I spoke to a group of residents even last week mm -hmm. uh, during their lunch hour, and we were talking about if you were, if you start to think about your clinical day from that big step back, as you move into different clinical environments, you can now learn the adaptation for each environment. Right. Yeah. So it's not this one set of skills, it's this adaptability. Even what um, payment model am I in? What are my desires in terms of numbers of patients? Sometimes you'll be wanting more, sometimes you'll be wanting less, depending on your stage of life. Yeah. How do we mm -hmm. optimize that? Uh, how do you even think about the optimization rather than just turning up and doing the busy of your day, yeah. which was my existence for decades, yes. was just turn up and do what was told of me to do and wonder how it was all going to get done. Yeah. So we've we've talked wonderfully about your journey and now how you're involved with lots of different um, clinicians across lots of different specialties and stages in their careers. What would you say, um, I love asking my um, guests about portfolio careers, which is what many of my guests do have um, who come on the podcast, because I think that's actually potentially a, a burnout prevention strategy, including mm -hmm. that variety in your life. What would you say is your favorite part to the combination of being a clinician and a life coach? Sure. Um, so I think that um, having a clinical practice helps me stay um, grounded in how the, the pain of medicine. <laughs> the clinical medicine is still hard in that the balancing of um, ebb and flow of the clinical week as I come off call and go on call and all of the things, the ebb and flow of the inbox. So that is important to me. And the patient continuity and that family medicine GP work is still, I, it's just, I love it. I love the detective work. I love the people and the humans and the stories and the medicine. So that piece, I still have um, joy. Mm. And then the clinical, uh, the coaching piece. So how I did that, I set up in 2020, we started the Charting Champions program, which is a lifetime access group coaching program for physicians. Mm -hmm. And the reason I did it that way was I'd, I'd figured out how to burn out yet again with one-on-one -on -one coaching. So I was fitting coaching physicians into my 7 a.m., 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m. weekends and evenings. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> loads of time just disappeared. And so how do we start to figure out there's demand and then there's one of me? Yes. So the Charting Champions program is a – way that we can have an access point for that one-on-one -on -one specific coaching for physicians because they can come onto the group calls, put their hand up and have that one-on-one -on -one time with their coach. Mm. But if they don't really have a problem that week or they just want to come and listen, they will hear physicians problem solving their day. Mm. And your brain, as you're starting to listen with that lens of, I want to create something different from my day, mm. It helps their problem-solving skill yes. and increases our ability to, to understand we are not alone. There are others who are having a similar experience mm. to what I was having, and they figured it out. They're doing it differently, and they're having a better experience. If it's possible for them, it's possible for me. Yes. 
So that reduced the number of total hours of coaching per week I was needing to achieve and increased my capacity for taking in physicians who were looking for this specific help. Mm. And I already knew the steps to get you there. Like, what do you have to know? What are your core foundational modules that we need to learn? And then how do we nuance that for each part of the clinical um, clinician? So that was, I just enjoy that so much. So put someone in front of me who's struggling and my brain also gets lit up with excitement. We are going to help this person too. Yeah, fantastic. So good. What's your clinical FTE? (laughs) More than (laughs) 1.0. Is it? Okay. You're amazing. You are amazing, Sarah. Yeah. If what if forty hours is a full time family practice, general practice, mm. I don't think it is. Is thirty eight hours full time? Mm, I think yeah, so. it's more than that. Sure. So you've got a full clinical load, and you're running group coaching. Yes. So I have Wednesdays off from the clinic. And Wednesdays off from clinical medicine, as in I don't see patients Wednesdays to be able to do the business side of the 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 coaching practice and the coaching within the coaching practice. Um, but then the uh, on-call schedule is full-time. And if I'm not on call for the emergency department, then I'm seeing my 1,200 panel patients, which are the patients, this is the way Canada says, how many people are on your books that call you yours? Um, so that that hasn't changed. Okay. Well, Look, I think we're rounding out the call. I could talk to you for hours, Sarah. This is absolutely fascinating. You're extremely inspiring and um, and we're very lucky to have you in the world, um, you know, helping all these clinicians, um, possibly internationally, not only Canada and America, but yeah, people reaching out from all over. Yeah, we have psychiatrists in Australia joined the program. Fantastic. Um, and then we've had a couple of uh, family um, general practitioners from Australia join the program. So we're starting to, yeah. you know, get a little bit here and there into Australia as well as, yes, the US and Canada and Ireland and the UK. Yeah. So it's all starting to just strip out into the world. Brilliant. Yes. Brilliant. So give me your um give me your contact details or what where can we direct people to? And I've got one more question after that. For sure. And uh, so it's chartingcoach.ca is the website. Um, or at chartingcoach is the in Instagram or Sustainable Clinical Medicine Podcast. Yeah, Fantastic. That's, that's great. So let's round out with the question I ask all of my guests. Please share a part of your self-care routine that you rarely miss. Okay. So two, if I can have two. Please go for it. <laughs> One is I have, um, I go to the um, gym twice a week uh, with a trainer. I love having a trainer because um, it's kind of like having a coach. Uh-huh. Um don't tell her that she's coaching as well. (laughs) I can build muscle because I want to be able to have that good. um, I want to say, yes, I've done my exercise and yes, I'm building muscle. So I have personal goals for myself. Great. Um, And I hired a sleep coach and uh, her name was Janet Whalen. She, she found me another three hours a day. So I'm, I'm going to say that learning sleep, good sleep coach strategies and grounding activities um, like your guided relaxation or your square breathing, whatever it mm-hmm. is that you like to do that helps bring down your human physiology yeah. so that you can have better sleep is very important. So um, wow. they are my two amazing finds as I went through this journey. 
cool. That's yeah. a first. I've never heard of a sleep coach. And the extra yeah. three hours, is that three hours of sleep or another amazing no, three hours actually, you have in your day? It was, it was three hours a day because I was um, not successfully understanding what amount of sleep I was requiring, how to get to sleep and how to stop that constant, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired for the first two hours of the day. Um, knowing yeah. that the way we wake up is just our brain waking up. So those mornings where we wake up feeling like Tigger, like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> I was always wanting that sleep that would turn me into a bouncy tigger in the morning. Mm -hmm. So when I would wake up, put my feet on the floor and my brain would say, I'm so tired. I thought something had gone terribly wrong. Mm -hmm. But actually, this is how our brains and bodies feel in the morning. So when we accept, oh yeah, this is what morning feels like, you know, put your feet on the floor and off you go rather than oh, I'm so tired. And then you're kind of creating this experience. So sleep mm. um, is a 24 hour job, not a at bedtime. Oh, great. So yeah. Learning how to set up your sleep clock. I didn't need as much sleep as I thought I did. Yeah, right. I was saving myself so much time. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. Great. Well, Sarah, it's been an absolute delight to have you share so many pearls of wisdom and, um, your journey and your successes and all those um, lucky humans um, who are like courageous enough to reach out for help and looking for change and applying the differences into their clinical careers and beyond. Um, it's been my absolute pleasure to have you on the call today. I look forward to staying in touch and hopefully seeing you in person one day soon. For sure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Burnout Recovery Podcast. If there's someone in your world who would also benefit from this, please share it with them. Remember, you are not alone and there is hope for a brighter, more fulfilling future. Let's continue this journey together one episode at a time. For more resources, including how to move from dread to delight, head to drjoebraid.com.